Welcome to the Karis Christian Center podcast. Amen. So let's, um, we are in Hebrews still. It's been a few weeks. I was gone on vacation a couple weeks ago, and last week we had camp meeting, but I'm going to jump right into Hebrews where we left off. We are in Hebrews chapter 9, and I had to stop right in the middle of the chapter because I was running out of time. I love every chapter of Hebrews, but Hebrews 9, um, and it's so rich. So I'm going to start right where I left off in verse 16, Hebrews 9, verse 16. I've entitled this series on Hebrews, Jesus Makes Everything Better. That's a great statement. Jesus makes everything better. And um, here in Hebrews um, 9, 16, we kind of talked about these couple of verses a little bit, but I want to pick up right here. It says, for where there is a testament, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. So he's talking about Jesus ushering in the New Testament for God to usher in the New Testament, the new covenant. Um, This was God's will. This was Jesus' will. This was his New Testament. For a will to be enacted, the person has to die. You know, I don't know what my dad's will is, but I know for, for it to be enacted, he has to pass away before I can get the stuff. He has a really nice, you know, grand piano at his house. I've already asked for that in the will. But I know I can't get it until he dies. And uh, verse 17, it says, For a testament is in force after men are dead, since it has no power at all while the testator lives. The really cool thing about the New Testament, about Jesus Christ, that is different than any other will in, in all the history of mankind There's one thing different about this will and what happened when Jesus died. It's the only time this ever happened. But when you have a will, you have to to assign someone to be the executor of that will. It's a very important role because it means that whoever is the executor after you die, they're going to meet with the lawyer with that will, and they are in charge of administering the will and making sure that all the heirs mentioned in that will get what they are promised, get what is willed to them by the testator. So Jesus Christ is the only person in history who is both the testator and the executor of his own will. He was raised again so he could execute that will, so he can make sure that all the heirs of his will receive what he wants them to receive. And with his will, it's really cool. When when the Bible says that we are made heirs and not just any type of heir, we're actually co-heirs with Jesus. So when he, when he got up out of that grave, he, he, he promised that we are made co-heirs with him. So his victory is our victory. His righteousness can be our righteousness. His authority can now be our authority. Amen? There, there are, his joy can be our joy. There are no lesser heirs. I had... I, a couple years ago, I paid someone to research the Purdue ancestry, and they found a lot of wills of Purdue's going back to, like, the Revolutionary period. There's actually a Purdue who fought in the Revolutionary War, and uh, his name was um, uh, Malachi Purdue, and he had, like, 12 children, and he, he named all of his children in his will, but some kids were lesser heirs. To a couple of the kids, he left one dollar. And he said, you get $1, and the reason, it said, for, for reasons known to myself. He took those reasons to the grave. I don't know those reasons. Why some of the Purdue's got $1, and some, you know, got the feather bed, and the, the cabin, and the, you know, whatever lot in Virginia where they lived. There are no lesser heirs with Jesus. 
We're all co-heirs with him. He is both the testator and the executor of that will. Let's go on to verse 18. It says, therefore, not even the first covenant. I love Hebrews, how he kind of compares the first covenant with the new covenant. He said, even the first covenant, it, wasn't, it had to be dedicated um, with blood. It was not dedicated without blood. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and goats with water, scarlet wool and hyssop. You know, um, Pastor Mark Hankins was talking about this a little bit on Sunday. He talked about the blood. He talked about how, how um, when, when, the, when the old covenant was initiated, when it was, um, when it was dedicated, the old, old covenant was dedicated, it was dedicated with blood, and it was, it was he actually, they took the, the, the hyssop and they sprinkled it on the people. It said, they sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, this is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you. Then likewise, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of ministry. And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. So he said, he's saying here that when the old covenant, when the, when the law of Moses was enacted, when it was dedicated, that there, it was dedicated with blood, there was actually um, quite the dedication service. If you want to know how important something is, you can look at Look about. Look at how it was enacted, how it was dedicated. You know, today is Flag Day. I know why the American flag is so important, because for our country to be enacted, some things had to happen, right? For this country to be to be made one nation under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all. There, there, there is actually a shedding of blood that occurred. People fought in that war. People fought in the war for our independence, for, for what we declared was our given right. And in the Declaration of Independence, they said that we, are our founding fathers, that we have the authority to establish our own independent nation, not because France says we can, not because Germany says we can, not because they said we, we have this right because God has given us this right. They appealed on God's authority, on heaven's authority to establish this as a nation for free people. So I know, I know, I know that the American flag means something because that there was something that was done for it to be dedicated. Does that make sense? Yesterday, President Biden flew another flag right in the middle of two American flags. He actually broke federal law by doing so. And that flag that was flying in the middle, there has been no blood shed for it. He actually broke federal law. You know, a, a few years ago, we, we had a flag on our front porch, and one of our neighbors, she was a military wife, and she actually um, was upset with us because we didn't have a light shining on that flag at night. She said, this is, this is actually a law. This is, this is you know, my, my, my husband is in the military. You should always have a, flat, a, a light on that flag at night. This is very serious. So really, every single person who, who's served in military, currently serving, families of vets should be upset by what the president did yesterday. He put, he put another flag in, in a more prominent position than the American flag. And he actually... He actually violated many things by doing so. 
But when I look at, at the new covenant, what was dedicated for the new covenant for this new testament to be enacted? I know this new covenant, this new testament is super powerful because nothing greater could have been given for this new testament testament to be enacted. That's why I'm a New Testament believer. I'm a grace preacher. I believe in in the gospel of Jesus. I believe in the message of grace, the message of faith, the message of that that we can receive the promises through Jesus. Because nothing greater can, can have been given for this New Testament to be enacted. So he's saying that there's a shedding of blood in the Old Testament, there was a shedding of blood for, for it to be enacted. You know, the, the blood was sprinkled on the law. It was sprinkled on the people. There's still a sprinkling of blood today. Let's go on in verse 23 here. Verse 23. It says, Therefore it was necessary that the copies of the things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. So the, the, the law had copies, had pictures, had shadows of things that that were, were to come, things that were in heaven not yet to come. If you think about Solomon's temple, Solomon's temple was a, a very special place. It's still a special place today. You can go to the, the Western Wall today. It's still a very special place, a very reverential place. You have to have your head covered when you go there. Um, they, they separate, you know, men worship on one side, women pray and worship on another side. It's a very special place. It's a very reverential place, but it's actually not the holiest of all places. It's actually a, a, a shadow, a copy. The real thing is always better than the copy. If you were to give me $100, I'd rather have the real thing than a copy, uh, than a Xerox of a $100 bill. I'm not going back to the old covenant. I'm not going back to the copies. There's something better. Amen? The real thing is so much better. But the, the, the copy was still super powerful. Powerful. If you think even about the dedication, the dedication of Solomon's temple, it was such a powerful thing that the priest couldn't even stand and minister. The presence of God filled that place. And the priests were, were so, it was such a powerful move of God that they fell down. They couldn't even stand up in God's presence. Amen? God's presence is so powerful. Verse 23 says, It was necessary that the copies of these things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Not that he should offer himself often as a high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood of another, he then would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, once at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as, I love this, as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. So he, he's comparing, you know, Christ died once and then was judged. Just like men, men die once and then you are judged. There is no purgatory, there is no limbo, that you, you die and then you are judged. And if there's been a sprinkling of blood on your life, you are judged the same way that Jesus was judged. Jesus died once and then he was judged. He was judged victorious, he was judged righteous, he was judged holy, he was judged spotless, he was judged powerful. And when you die, you can be judged the same way that he was judged. That's what God, that is, the, that is what we're talking about when we're talking about the New Testament. 
We have access to the holy of holies, to the holiest place in the universe through Jesus. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who are eager to wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. Man, when Jesus Christ, when he, when he said it is finished, when he, when he died on the cross, it said, man, it was such a powerful moment that the earth shook, that people, people were actually raised up out of graves, that the, 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 te- the veil was torn in two. The veil was about 18 inches thick. So every single layer of, of fur and and scarlet, and fabric, 18 inches thick, several layers thick, just all sewed together. It was, it was about the same height as this roof down to the floor here. Just ripped into. Quite the dedication service. And when Jesus died, I don't think he had to go fight the devil in hell for three days. Jesus was there when Lucifer got kicked out of heaven. He said, I saw Satan fall like lightning. It wasn't even a tough battle. I believe that Jesus, when, when, he, when he died, he plundered hell. He took the gates of hell. He took every vestige that, uh, of authority that Satan had, and he just stripped it in the blink of an eye. And then he, he paraded in heaven for three days. He took captivity captive. Amen? So the New Testament had quite the dedication service. Let's go on to chapter 10 now. This is my next point. I want to talk about the greatest offering of all. I love, I love, I actually love reading the Old Testament. I love reading about all the offerings, all the sacrifices, all the reverence that these things were done with. Even Pastor Mark said he studied out the Old Testament and he believed that, that people gave more than 10% in the Old Testament. After, after his study of it, he thought they gave closer to, I think it was 28% after, if, they, if they were to follow the law and to give all these things. And I get excited about, about great offerings, but I want to talk about the greatest offering of all. You know, the Old Testament's full of a lot of sacrifices, a lot of offerings. We see the tithe. We see animal sacrifices, holiday offerings, even people be, being dedicated to God. Hannah dedicated Samuel to work at the tabernacle. We see great financial offerings. David actually gave a billion-dollar offering to, to get ready for the, the, the temple that would be built. And I want to talk about the greatest offering of all. We can't ever outgive God. Amen. So I'm going to talk about several aspects of this great offering of, a, of really the perfect sacrifice. So let's start here in Hebrews 10 verse 1. It says, For the law having a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with these same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year make those who approach perfect. So even all these great offerings, all these great sacrifices, all, all these things that we see in the Old Testament, they could not make those who approach, they could not make even the, the high priest who went once a year into the Holy of Holies, they could not be made perfect. So here, here in verse 2, we see the first aspect of this perfect sacrifice, the first aspect of a perfect sacrifice, and it is this, a perfect sacrifice can remove sin consciousness. 
These four aspects are really important for us to understand as in this new covenant, as new covenant believers, as people under, not under the law, but under grace. This perfect sacrifice removes sin consciousness. If you're taking notes, you can write that down. A perfect sacrifice, number one, removes sin consciousness. Verse two, for then would they not have ceased to be offered. If those sacrifices were perfect, they would have been able to stop offering them. For the worshipers once purified would have had no more consciousness of sin. So it's really important to understand that this perfect sacrifice, it removes a sin consciousness. It gives us a, a righteousness consciousness. When we come to God, God's not going to say, you filthy sinner, what are you doing here? God is going to say, my beloved child, my beloved son, my beloved daughter, welcome home. It gives us a righteousness consciousness. If you have a sin consciousness, it's because you are focused on yourself and not focused on what Jesus did for you. Look at what he did for you on the cross. The Old Testament law put the focus on yourself. That's why it produced a sin consciousness. The New Testament sacrifice puts the focus on Jesus, not on you. It says in verse 3, but in those sacrifices, there is actually a reminder of sins every year. I do not celebrate Lent. I do not remind myself of sin every year. I kind of find it silly when, when Protestant churches celebrate Lent. There, there's a church right next door here that I've heard ministers talk about. We're in the season of Lent. I'm not going back to those things. I'm not going back to the old covenant. I'm not going, my focus is always on Jesus and what he's done for me. It's not on myself, not on my failures, not on my failures 10 years ago, not on my failures a week ago, not on my failures this morning. When Peter got up on the day of Pentecost and preached, he didn't say, I'm entering a season of, of Lent and Penitence. Just 50 days ago, I committed a terrible sin. I denied Jesus. No, he, the focus wasn't on him. The focus was on Jesus. The focus was on the power of God, on this gift that had been given to the church, on a gift that he didn't deserve, on a gift that we don't deserve. Man, focusing on yourself is going to weaken what God wants to do in you and through you. Focus, man, I, I don't celebrate Lent. Does this make sense? It actually bothers me when, when, when Protestant people, when charismatic people want to go back to that stuff. When I, went to, when I went to Rice University for grad school, I, I, a lot of my, I was a part of a grad student Bible study, and there's like this big move amongst intellectual Christians to go back to the Catholic Church. Why? Why do you want to go back to a system of works, a system of tradition, a system of... You know, finding other people to... to intercede for you, between you and, you know, find some saint to pray for you that's died and pray for me, saint, whatever. 
God can hear your prayers just fine. There are no lesser heirs. This is a full gospel church. This is a full life church. We are not a half life church, a half gospel church, a half look at what the blood has done for us church. People need to wake up. Wake up. Carter Springs is one of the most apathetic, spiritually apathetic places in the country. And God is going to change hearts here. Starting right here at Karis Christian Center. If you are waiting for someone else in this town to start a revival, to get hungry for God, to get thirsty for the Holy Spirit, you're going to wait a long time. It's going to start right here. I'm not going to go down quietly. I'm not going back. Amen? I don't know why people get so excited about these old things. I remember not too long ago, there were you know, five full-bred red heifers that were being shipped from Texas to Jerusalem, and there are prophets talking about how amazing this is, and this can usher in the second coming of Jesus. And I'm like, Old Testament sacrifices will not usher in anything better. Amen? Oh, Pastor Aaron, you're wearing a, you know, white cloak of the high priest with the, the priest hat and the, all the priestly garb. I'm not going back. Amen? For it is not possible, verse 4, that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. Therefore, when he said, when he, when he came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offering you do not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come in the volume of the book, it is written of me to do your will, O oh God. This is the second aspect of a perfect sacrifice, is that it comes from the heart. God, even in the Old Testament, God was ultimately after people's heart. He didn't really care about the bull you offered, about the goat you offered, about, he cared about the heart. It's the same today. God cares about the heart. Paul writes about it. Even if you, 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 give, you give your own body you, you, you know, for Jesus, you, you martyr, but if it's not done in love, it's nothing. God's after your heart. It's not what you do, it's why you do it. You know, I, I've been thinking a lot about the, the woman with the alabaster jar. And when she gave this offering to Jesus, when she poured it out on his feet, worshipped him, Jesus made made an important statement about this. He said whenever this gospel is preached, this would be told as a memorial to her. And this, this offering that she gave, it was a completely sacrificial offering. It was completely from her heart. It was just an offering just, just completely out of love to Jesus. 
It was an extravagant offering. It actually offended religious people. You know, it's a woman doing this. She has a past. You know, this, this is a costly thing. Even Judas Iscariot piped up and said, we could have, we could have given this for something else. We could have. But the thing, the thing, and when Jesus said this will be told as a memorial too, or I, I think there's actually some types of offerings, there are some types of gifts that are just so beautiful, so 100% from the heart, so much out of love to Jesus, that when those offerings are made, it actually preaches the gospel. I've seen, I've seen people like that here. I, I don't know what everyone gives every week. I, I don't really check, check that every now and then I hear about something, but, but I know there have been some offerings, some things that people have given here that, that have been so powerful, so sacrificial, so just out of love for God, out of love for, for Jesus, that, that it, it's, actually, it's actually preached the gospel to me. It's inspired me. It's encouraged me. I, I know people have given offerings that, that go way beyond what they could have, have afforded. They were going through difficult things in life. And, and they just out of their love for God, out of their love for Jesus, just give something incredible and, and don't have anything expected in return. You know, people who've lost their jobs and given away a big chunk of their savings, people who've just dealing with things that I can't even imagine dealing with and they just give, it preaches the gospel. It inspires me. It, it makes me want to be a better pastor. There's people here who love Jesus that much that want to give like that. When that woman with the alabaster jar gave that, it actually preaches the gospel. It preaches God's power. It preaches what it's all about. It's all about a relationship with him. Amen? So that perfect sacrifice, it comes from the heart. When Jesus, when he offered himself on the cross, he actually did it out of his love for us. He, the Bible said he did it because there was a joy set before him. He's able to endure that. He was able to endure the cross. Everything about the cross, everything leading up to that cross, being completely humiliated, humiliated, he, he, he could have gotten out of that situation. But he went through all of that humiliation, through, through that pain, through that anguish, through that suffering, because there was a joy set before him, that joy of, of what he would do for us. Amen. That perfect sacrifice, number two, it comes from the heart. Verse eight, it says, previously saying, sacrifice and offering, burnt offerings and offerings for sin, you did not desire nor had pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first that he may establish the second. And here we see the, the third aspect of a perfect sacrifice. It does not need to be repeated. By that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins, forever sat down at the right hand of God. From that time, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. So a perfect sacrifice removes sin consciousness. A perfect sacrifice comes from the heart. And a perfect sacrifice does not need to be repeated. It was offered, he offered one sacrifice 
for sins forever, once for all. And he sat down. I love it. He sat down at the right hand of God. A priest would never sit down until they were done with what they were doing. I know working for my dad, you don't sit down till the job is done. You know, about, I think it was about 10 years ago when we were building our, our last building, um, I, I came home that summer, it was the, the summer after the first year of my master's in Houston. I came back that summer to help with the building project. My brother Peter came home as well. He just finished his freshman year at Princeton. We both came home that summer and, and worked for the church. We worked for Pastor Lawson for $10 an hour. And, and we were just out there with a shovel all summer long out in the, the parking lot. And it actually rained a lot that summer. It's one of those once in a decade years where it rains a lot. And it rained, and the, the mountain where we were you know, moving out and trying to put in the parking lot, it kept washing out into the road. And we just had to dig up dirt, you know, dig it out of the road every day because the inspectors were after us then. And pity, people in the city are always after Karis Christian Center. Anyways, we, we got the one you know, sewer drain inspector who drove by our church every day after it rained to make sure there was no dirt out in the road. And if there was, he'd threaten us with the law. So we'd be out there shoveling dirt and we're digging lines for the electric lines in the, in the parking lot. But I remember one, one time we were just, was just really hot, really tired, we just sat down. And, and one, like 10 seconds after we sat down, Pastor Lawson came right around the corner. And he was furious. He grabbed, our, grabbed a shovel and said, let me show you how to do it. And he just started shoveling like a wild man. You don't sit down until the job is finished. Jesus sat down because the job is finished. Verse 14, for by one offering he is perfected Forever, those who are being sanctified. This is actually a very important verse that a lot of people that you have to understand as a New Testament believer, as a New Testament person. So aspects of a perfect sacrifice. Number one, it removes a sin consciousness. The Holy Spirit can still lead you, can still guide you, can still correct you, but the focus is not on you. The focus is not on your sin. It shouldn't be... Our relationship with God should never be about you. One day out of the year. Amen? Whenever you come to God, it's always about Jesus. Perfect sacrifice removes the sin consciousness. Number two, a perfect sacrifice comes from the heart. Number three, a perfect sacrifice does not need to be repeated. And number four, a perfect sacrifice, this is kind of obvious, but it's actually very profound. Jesus his sacrifice was perfect in, in and of itself. But number four, it's really important. A perfect sacrifice perfects that which it is being sacrificed for. I tried to mention this to Heather, and, and it didn't look like you guys are kind of the same way. The sacrifice is perfect in and of itself, but for it to be really perfect, it has to perfect what it is being sacrificed for. Does that make sense? If you believe that his sacrifice was perfect, then you have to believe Hebrews 10, verse 14, that you are perfected forever, that you are not lacking, that you are not inadequate, that you are, that you are not blemished, that you are not weak and beggarly, that you 
Amen? A lot of people don't think, think about this, but that word perfected, the Greek word teleo, it means to make perfect, to finish, to fulfill, to be perfect, to consecrate, to be completed, to carry out, to accomplish, to bring to an end. There is nothing that I have to do to add to the sacrifice of Jesus. There is no sacrifice I have to do. Everything that I now do, I do from the heart. I do willingly. I do out of my love for God. Amen? And it's actually much more powerful than, than, the, than the system of sacrificing in the Old Testament. You don't, do, you don't do things now because you have to. You do things now because you get to. Does that make sense? So are, are there things in the Old Testament that we can still do in the New Testament? Yes. But now you don't have to. Now you can get to. Does that make sense? Huge difference. You know, when, when, I, when I give a gift to Heather, my wife Heather, when it's her birthday, what if I just gave to her because I had to? She'd be like, well, I'll take whatever I can get. <laughs> no, it's better to give because you want to, because you get to, because you're excited. I'm married to Heather Perdue, the most beautiful woman on the face of the earth. I don't know how I got to marry her, so when I give, I give because I get to, not because, oh, man... It's our anniversary. Oh, man. Our anniversary is coming up very soon. I, good, good thing the Holy Spirit reminded me just then. July 6th will be four years. I'll get you fireworks two days before, Heather. And some other things as well. In the New Testament, what we do for God, it's not because we have to. It's because we get to. It's so much better this way. Look at any marriage. I know we have professional marriage counselors here. If your whole marriage, if your whole relationship is based upon what you have to, even working relationships, if you only work because you have to, because you just have to eat and you just have to, you're going to be miserable at your job. You're going to have a terrible attitude. You're going to hate it. You're going to, that's a terrible way to work. But if you're doing what, because you get to do this, Amen? You know, I, I have to preach tonight, but I'm not preaching because I have to. I'm preaching because I get to, because it's what an incredible thing to be able to do. Amen? This perfect sacrifice, it perfects those for whom it is being offered. Colossians 2 verse 10 puts it this way. And you are complete. Say, I am complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. Amen? Now let's read a few more verses here. Verse 15, it says, But the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us, for after he has said before... I, I love the Holy Spirit. Man, I'm still thankful for the Holy Spirit, for the, the Spirit that leads us and, and guides us as sons and daughters. You know, when I've had a, a tough day, when I think I, I've messed up, I really failed things, I wasn't my best. I've come to God before just saying, God, just let me have it. And God just spoken to me, said, Aaron, you're my son. I love you. I'm thankful for you. You're going to be fine. I'm going to take care. That's how God speaks to me. That's how the Holy Spirit leads me. Amen? Even in my weakest, 
he loves me even more. Amen? Verse 16 says, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds. I will write them. Then he adds, Their sins and lawless deeds I will remember no more. No more. Now where there is remission of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. Amen. Jesus' blood paid it all. Man, the blood of Jesus, it's such a powerful offering. It didn't, and it, it didn't just remove sin from us. You know, even in the Old Testament, if, if, those, if those Old Testament sacrifices, you know, giving certain offerings, you know, killing certain animals, laying your hands on a scapegoat, sending it to the wilderness, maybe, maybe it could remove something for a period of time. It can never give anything into return. I like this picture of the, the scapegoat in Leviticus where, where the priest will lay their hands on the scapegoat and they, by doing so, they would be laying, we see laying on of hands all throughout scripture. You think there could be laying on of hands today? Yes. You, you, see, you see types and shadows in the Old Testament of things coming today. But they, they lay hands on the scapegoat, sin, sin would be placed on and then would be sent into, into the wilderness, carrying away their sin with them. Jesus, when he died on the cross, our sin was laid on him, but not only that. This is why Jesus is so much better than than an Old Testament sacrifice, because those Old Testament sacrifices could not give you anything in return. They could maybe take sin upon them, but they could never give you anything in return. They could never really cleanse you, they could never really purge you. But Jesus, he takes your sin upon you, but when he got up out of the grave, he gives you an inheritance of righteousness. That, that Old Testament legal system can never give you righteousness. It can never give you a new heart. You know, Jesus, he took, he took sickness on himself at the cross. By his stripes, he took sickness upon him at the cross. But at the cross, he also gave you healing. Amen? He took... He took anxiety upon himself at the cross so you could have supernatural joy. We have something that's been given to us. We, we're, just, we don't, we're not just given a clean slate when we believe on Jesus, when we, when we make him our Lord and Savior. Yes, your sins are washed away, but you don't just have a clean slate. You are given something. You are given victory. You are given his authority. You are given righteousness. You are given divine health. You are given supernatural joy. Amen? You are, you are given things. Verse 19. This is my last point. We'll finish out this chapter. Verse 19. My point is this. You can now enter the holiest with boldness. When Jesus died on the cross and with his own blood The high priest would have to to have blood to enter the Holy of Holies. Jesus took his own blood. He He still has the scars. He still has the holes in his hands. We'll be able to see that. When he when he entered heaven with his own blood, when he entered the throne room of heaven, the holy of holies, not the copy, but the real deal. The real mercy seat. 
He entered with boldness. He entered with joy. He entered with gladness. He entered with a shout of victory. Now, this is what I'm saying to you today. When you enter the throne room, not just a copy, not just a shadow, when you enter the very presence of God, when you come to God, you can come to God the same way that Jesus came to God, to the Father. When Jesus died on that cross, whipped the devil in a blink of an eye, went to heaven, had a three-day, probably one of the greatest parties ever in the history of the universe. We get to enter that same way. We can enter with a shout of victory, with joy, with thanksgiving. That's how we get to enter God's presence. We can enter the holiest with boldness. How do we come before God? We come before God with boldness. We also come through a new and a living way. I don't want to come to God through anything patterned off an old, traditional, dead way. I only want to come to God through Jesus Christ himself. He is the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. No man should get in your way of coming to the Father, even from hearing from the Father. You are my sheep, I am the shepherd, and my sheep hear my voice. No man deserves that power to, to stand in the way between the children of God and the Father himself. I'm not going to stand in your way of accessing the throne room of going straight to the Father, of going straight to, to that place of forgiveness, that, that place of mercy, that place where he's pouring out the Holy Spirit. Amen? No man should get in that way because any man is going to take that power and abuse it and manipulate it. A new and a living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh. We come now through the veil, that is through the flesh of Jesus that was broken for us. We, we always come through the sacrifice of Jesus. We come with boldness, we come through that new and living way, we come through the veil. And it says, we have a high priest over the house of God. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance. We can come with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience what, what is an evil conscience? What is he talking about, an evil conscience? A conscience where, where it's, it's about you, where the focus is on you. He's, he's still, in context, he's still talking about the law. He's saying if you think you have to come through the law through your own performance, that, that is an evil conscience. That's actually a very direct term. An evil conscience. And our bodies are washed with pure water. Verse 23 let us hold fast the confession of our faith, of our hope, without wavering. For he who is promised is faithful. Why can we hold fast to this confession of faith without wavering? Because it is based upon Jesus Christ himself. If you are wavering in your faith, it's because it's not really based upon Jesus. Now, sometimes people, they, 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 I've, seen, I've seen it happen where you know, like a minister or maybe a famous Christian music artist, you know, falls away. 
And, and the people who, who were looking up to them said, well, I'm, I'm just done. I don't even believe it anymore. I'm not going to go to church anymore. I'm, I'm just, you weren't following Jesus. You were following that preacher. You weren't following Jesus. You were following that singer. You know, Heather and I were having this conversation. I, I, I like to listen to certain teachers where I, where I feel like I glean a lot from them. And she said, well, what, what if something happened to this person that you really like, Aaron? I said, well, I, I like them not because of their personality or because of their clothes or their hair or whatever. I like them because of what they're showing me in the word of God. And if they, they were to just, their brain were just to be, you know, sucked up by some alien, I don't know, whatever. I'm not going to stop following God. I'm not going to stop believing the word of God. I'm not going to stop doing what God has called me to do. Because I wasn't worshiping them. I only worship Jesus. Amen. What's sad? It's still sad. Yes, it's still sad if those things happen. But that's why God doesn't want a personality to stand in the way between you and him. And just just human nature, we just have this nature to want to put something there, to make an idol out of some person, out of some group, out of some... We want a king. We want to be like everyone else. We want to have a a singer like all the, the world singers. We want to have a... Someone who's as famous, like, like the famous people of the world. We want, to have, we want to have that. No, you have something better. You have Jesus. I don't care what Pastor Lawson's personality is like. I don't care what he wears. I don't. I don't even care what style of music we worship to. I don't, care. I don't care if there's a guitar or a banjo or a flute or a... If you care so much about those things where, like, I, I've seen people, how they, you know, leave their Yelp reviews of churches. Like, I didn't really like the electric guitar. I didn't like that they have an organ. I don't like they have this or that. You don't care about the right things. You are very immature. Man, if you, can, if you can only worship if, you know, Carrie Job is here, that's the only way I can really enter the throne room. Sorry, Aaron Skaggs. You're never going to sound like... I hope he doesn't. I hope he doesn't look like Carrie Job. I hope he doesn't... Anyways, hold fast to that confession of hope without wavering, for he who is promised is faithful. Verse 24. Man, when you have that, that type of access to the throne room, it's gonna, it's gonna, that, that vertical relationship with God, it's going to influence your horizontal relationship with other people. The other people in the family of God. Verse 24, it talks about how this is going to affect these relationships here on earth with other believers. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. So we're going to, we're going to encourage each other. We're going, to, we're, going to, we're going to inspire each other to want to live for God, to want to glorify him with what we're doing with our lives. Amen? 
And also, we're not going to forsake the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner. So we're going to have this desire to come to church. We're going to have this desire to be around other believers, to worship God together. Not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. So he's saying, when you understand what Jesus has done for you, when you really understand it, it's going to change your heart's desires. Your, your will is going to be shifted. It's not about you. It's not about pleasing this world. It's not about, you're going to have a will to live for God. Verse 27 says, a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. There is a judgment. Verse 28, anyone who has re rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Verse 29, of how much more punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot? counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing and insulted the spirit of grace. Here he's talking about the three unpardonable sins. It's to reject the son of God, to reject Jesus, to, to reject the blood of the covenant and to reject that spirit of grace, the Holy Spirit, that, that, that spirit of grace that leads you to repentance. We should always have a great honor, a great worship, a great esteem for the Son of God, for the blood of the covenant, and for that spirit of grace. Verse 30, for we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. If you look at our, our, our foundational doctrine for this church, we believe in eternal judgment. There is a heaven, there is a hell. You see it here, right here. The Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. You can read about it in Revelation. Verse 32, but recall the former days in which after you were illuminated, you endured a great struggle with sufferings, partly while you were made a spectacle both by reproaches and tribulations, and partly while you became companions of those who were so treated. You were treated bad because you were just known to associate with me. Verse 34, he said, for you had compassion on me in my chains. This is a verse that really sounds like Paul to me. I think Paul wrote Hebrews. Some people don't think so, but this really just sounds like Paul. You had compassion on me in my chains and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and an enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward, great recompense of reward. God is a rewarder. No matter what's going on in life, always live for God. Don't cast away your confidence. Keep trusting him. He is such a rewarder. He is such a rewarder. Verse 36, for you have need of endurance. Say endurance. Paul said, I have run my race. When you run the race of faith, remember that it is not a sprint. It is an ultra marathon. It's going to take endurance. You know, this weekend, I'm going to be with both of my brothers, Peter and Andrew. Be a reunion of the Purdue brothers. Whenever we get together, we always compete. We're all very competitive people. And they're both great athletes. I'm a great flute player. I gave up playing football. 
playing around with them, I realized that God had gifted me in other ways. <laughs> They're great athletes. They're both great runners. They're actually great sprinters. They, they, in high school, they ran on the same 4 by 100 relay team in one state together. Incredibly fast sprinters. But I, I, we, we would, whenever we get together, we usually go for a run. We go for a workout together. We run. And um, I haven't been running very much lately. I don't know what they've been doing lately. We're all dads now. I think, I don't know. I don't know who's been staying most fit. We'll find out. But I know in times past, if I want to beat them when we're on a run, I have to start running. I have to kick it in gear pretty early because they, they can really sprint we're super fast. And, and, and all of our little jogs, friendly neighborhood, you know, once you be my neighbor, it just turns into competition. And, I, and if I start running really fast, you know, like half a mile towards the end of the run, they, they get mad at me. They're like, it's not a race. It's not a race. But I know if I wait to the end, they're just going to sprint as fast as I can and say, I beat you. You're a loser. You're not as good as me. And there's a lot of trash talking that goes on. <clears throat> but I, I'm a good endurance runner. I have, a, I have so I, I get it in gear a little early on. You have need of endurance so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise for yet a little while. And he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. Faith and patience. We talked about that a few weeks ago. Faith and patience. We're not going to get into Hebrews 11 tonight. But Hebrews 11, you can, you can study it out before next week. And you look at all these examples of faith. It's not just an example of faith. It is every single person was also an example of patience. Faith and patience always go hand in hand together. Amen? You know, the just shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. The just shall live by faith. Faith is a journey. It's a long journey. It's a marathon. So better learn how to enjoy the trip. So this is my conclusion for you tonight. It is one of my favorite quotes of myself. But don't, don't think I'm so famous that you're going to, you know. Let's go quoting Pastor Aaron all the time. You are 100% of the time better off believing God than not believing him. You are always 100% of the time better off trusting his word. You are always 100% of the time better off believing every promise of God. So keep believing, keep trusting, keep, keep the switch of faith turned on. Amen? That last part wasn't me. I don't know who that was. That was Pastor Lawson, probably stolen from Pastor Mark, probably stolen from Kenneth Hagin, probably stolen from Paul. I don't know. But um, anyways, right now, um, Heather's going to come up. And, uh, Thank you for listening to the Karis Christian Center podcast. If you would like to receive prayer, product, or more information about the ministry, go to www.karischristiancenter.com or call us at 719-418-4000.